Bedpost Podcast. <laughs> I, of course, am your host, Erin Pym, and what I like to do here on the pod usually is bring fun and sexy guests into the studio to talk about sex and sexuality with me. But today, I thought I would do a solo Q&A episode. So I have gone to the socials and um, appealed to you, the listeners, <laughs> For some cues. Um, basically, I was getting like a lot of feedback on the, the do you guys really like these types of episodes? So um, I thought I'd do one every couple months because uh, Lord knows it helps me. If I don't have to find a guest that week, then great. And um, I was away last week. So, you know, I did the thing where I had someone booked for the that Sunday that I was away and then I get back and wow tomorrow's another Sunday with no one booked so I was like what a perfect time (laughs) to do a solo episode so I thought I'd do this in three parts I've got my at the lady pym on instagram questions i've got the at the bedpost podcast on instagram questions and then i've got my uh, twitter questions at the lady pym one so let's start with lady pym on um insta 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 okay so this question is from mike.aturi and he says, have you ever done a true cuck session with a bull and sub? Would love to set that up. Uh, yes, absolutely. I am now working with Davis Thumper. We're kind of looking to do a little little photo shoot maybe to promote it. So yeah, definitely. That's, that is absolutely a service I offer. Myself and Davis hadn't had... Haven't had a a bite yet, but we've had a handful of inquiries. They just haven't turned into anything. But um, yeah, we're really looking forward to working with each other. Um, We've actually, hold on, hold on now. Way, uh, way back, uh, we did one session together that was a cuck, uh, or no, sorry, not a cuck, a um, quote unquote forced buy session. So we did do that back in the day. Um, yeah, which was why he was one of the people that I thought of to start offering that again. And um, yeah, you'd love to set that up. Well, you know what to do. Click the link of my bio, fill out the form, make that fantasy a reality. Second question here is from Mistress Juju. And she asks, Tips on dealing with jealousy in polyamory, especially if your new partner has a long-term partner. Yeah, I think this is like the main question that you get asked with polyamory stuff, right? And um, there's a couple, you know, angles I could tackle this. 
One, like the first thing that I think of whenever I've talked with other folks and like polyamory kind of experts about jealousy is that jealousy is actually like a combination of a bunch of different emotions. And when you kind of pick it apart, that can kind of help you target exactly what you're feeling because jealousy can be like you know a few emotions wrapped up to one and one can be envy that you're envious that that person has something that you want right like maybe the person you're dating has a long-term partner like this question says and you would like a long-term partner so you're actually envious of what they have and you want because you want that for yourself and you're kind of wondering why you don't have that for yourself so that's what I'm familiar with like I've dated people that have that date a lot you know and I've sometimes I look at that and I it makes me feel bad and I'm like okay what is this and it's like well I wish I dated um I wish I dated more you know I wish I dated more people so that can kind of be a jumping off point for myself to be like, okay, well, if I want to date more or I want to try dating more, it kind of goes with cycles with me where I want to. And then I kind of don't for a while. But like, if I'm feeling that pull again, then what's stopping me? Like, why don't I? And for me, a lot of times, like what's standing in my way is myself is like invisible barriers that I'm putting up to my own happiness. I'm just like, oh, well, I can't do that for for whatever reason and that's a big kind of topic for me in therapy is like you have more control over your life than you think you do so if you want something okay let's make some steps to make it happen right um but yeah that's um obviously uh talking about this with your partner is going to be huge um because they obviously have their own autonomy to have their relationships and whatnot. But since they're in a relationship with you, um, you know, if you're like, I'm feeling insecure about one of your other partners, then have that conversation with them so that they're offering, like, what can I do to support you? Um, you know, in your insecurity, what can I do to help you feel more secure? Um, like, what are your fears and anxieties about this? You know, Oftentimes it's like, is this person, are you worried this person is going to take away from time with you? Um, and what can we do to make you feel like that that's not going to happen? And what can I do to demonstrate that that's not going to happen? Like, do we need to schedule more time together, regular time together so that you see the trend of like, oh, nothing's changing, you know, if it's a new partner. Um you know, I still get the time and energy that I require from you. Sometimes that physical evidence uh, goes a long way. For me personally, um, if the new person I'm dating has like a long term partner or has like, you know, some partnerships built in, I actually feel like way less secure about those. What I feel more insecure about is like new relationships that they have. Um, so I'm actually the opposite of that long-term partners. I never have problems with, it's just the new ones that I require some support surrounding. So yeah, just communication surrounding that. Sometimes it's like, um, getting to know that person helps me with those insecure feelings and, uh, yeah, communication. So I'll say that I'm sure there's lots of other answers for that question. It's a really big question, but 
that's for me personally and that's kind of with my experience what I know about it so the next question is from Carl underscore Johnson underscore nine eight seven six and he says I like to try pegging sessions but when I try it hurts a lot so I stopped doing that how can I loose my asshole <laughs> asshole is spelt in a funny way um wow just coming right out with it eh Carl so <laughs> sorry um you know anal shouldn't be painal right if you're doing if you're experiencing pain with anal then you've got to do a few things right you've either got to do some more warm-up you know you've got to really slow down um it could mean something like you have a little tear or something so if you're feeling pain um that's your indicator to stop doing what you're doing something is wrong right so that's why people say don't use numbing creams and whatnot especially for anal because your body feeling pain that's your indicator that you're doing something wrong and you should stop and you're gonna further injure yourself if you like put on a numbing agent um, and you can't feel the pain but um it can also be this like mind body connection some people have a lot of fear that it's going to hurt or maybe it's hurt in the past um so you know your your emotions surrounding you know like your emotions are loaded with this activity so it can be hard to relax and enjoy and access pleasure um for anal sometimes it's like you got to go so slow it feels like you're going backwards like maybe you just do non-penetrative anal activities like there's a lot you can do externally that's so nice um or like really really small insertions like just like one finger you know what I mean and do that for as long as you're going to do that for and if you're desiring to go bigger then work up like really slowly start with like a really small pegging dildo you know like a really smooth thin not super long one like don't just get one that looks like a monster cock obviously that's kind of um common sense but hey common sense sometimes isn't so common um, use way more lube than you think you're gonna use um, like when I do pegging sessions because I offer pegging sessions um, I get them in a really relaxed position positioning can also really help you like I get them right on their back with their legs up in like we've got a little leather swing at ritual chamber so I get them in that that's often the easiest way to receive anal um, so yeah start them with like earlier in this session I usually put in a very small plug say if this is the person's first time or they've had uh, pain previously um, and they want to go back in uh, and try it so starting with a really small plug you know leaving it in for like a half hour then putting a slightly bigger plug in leaving it in for like another half hour and you're doing other activities and whatnot um, in the session while you're kind of setting it and forgetting it with the anal plug but um yeah and then usually I'll get like a very small dildo and put them in the swing and we'll I'll like enter really slowly and once I'm in I'll hang out there for a bit we're doing other activities and stuff um we can be engaging the fantasy um which can help people relax and kind of connect to their body i can get them to do like a grounding activity like concentrating on their breath and whatnot 
um, other pleasurable stuff that can can be happening at the same time. That's a big one. Like, don't forget about the rest of your body, you know, just because it's anal doesn't mean other parts of your body can't be engaged. Um, And um, yeah, and then start thrusting super slowly. If all is good with that, then you can kind of quicken the pace or go a bit harder. Um, Get the safe words, obviously, in place so that you uh, are communicating. Um, And uh, yeah, I mean, the other thing with like my own experience with like anal activities is like the minute I realized that like pleasure is the goal, you know, not like a big dick or like full anal sex is the goal. Once I realize pleasure should be the goal, it's like, okay, well, if, if I enjoy like very small penetration, um, if a vibrator's on me, if these other, you know, fantasy elements are engaged, then I love it. Uh, so I just stay within your boundaries, stay within where it's pleasurable. Like I know we all have, you know, these sex goals and whatnot, but that's the thing with translating fantasy to reality. Sometimes our bodies can't do what we're picturing them doing in our brains. And that's okay. That's when you just kind of more so engage the fantasy element um, to bridge that gap. So I hope that helps. Also, like homework, you know, if you're just doing one session with a pro like myself, um, do homework. Yeah. Wear plugs around the house, you know, get a little dildo and get used to it at home so that, you know, you're, you know how to use those muscles and you're familiar with the feeling and you're kind of training yourself, um, you know, training really your brain uh, so that it's not intimidated and feeling like it's going to be painful. You know what I mean? It's like, again, giving yourself that physical evidence of like, oh, okay, this isn't painful. And then don't just book an hour, book longer than an hour if you're with a pro and it's your first time, because it might take, uh, probably will take longer than an hour to really warm you up and then get you there. And then set low expectations as well. Maybe you won't get that dildo in the first time. A lot of times, um, you don't. So do that too. Okay. Hope that answered your question. Okay. The next one. Nihaugzionijimeo asks, <laughs> that's not how that's supposed to be said, but I tried, didn't I? Any advice for a couple with the guy discovering his bisexual interests um, in his mid thirties? Okay. So yeah, we got a little queer, queer baby. That's cute. That's so good. Um, So it's a couple and I'm assuming it's a male female couple and he's wanting to maybe play with men or in some way. Um, Yeah, well, it sounds like you two are have some sort of an open situation. So the thing you don't want to do is go unicorn hunting, (laughs) where you're objectifying, um, you know, a third player. That's kind of a big no, no. Um, and if you go, you know, that route, then you're not going to find much success because this third person that you're going to welcome into your play or your relationship, you know, they're going to be want to see, be seen as a person with their own wants, needs, desires, um, as well. So, 
I think that's like the fantasy versus reality disconnect that sometimes happens as well. It's like, well, this person's a person. So you've got to do person first dating, not like objective first dating. So what you're going to have to do is find somebody that their interests align with yours. If you're looking for like just play, then find somebody who's looking for just play. If you know, you're looking for something that's more about exploring a relationship with another man, then try and find that. Basically, like just try and put all that information, that disclosing information up front so that you're setting expectations, you know, reasonably and realistically so that no one's getting hurt. You can always, you know, if you're not looking for um, doing a dating app or maybe other social events might not be the place to meet a person to play with you. There's always Oasis, isn't there? Um, <laughs> that said, um, if you go to a sex club, then you also still need to do person first, you know, interactions, like just being like, want to fuck my husband um, isn't isn't probably going to work start with conversations that you would start with anyone where you're showing interest and you're flirting and you're asking them kind of what they're open to in this space, like what, you know, their, what coloring in the lines for them looks like. Ask, you know, show genuine interest in them as a person, not just like how they're going to service you in this discovering of your, your partner's bisexual interests. Also something just to destigmatize and familiar familiarize yourself with the vocabulary and the language and the ideas and concepts. Like listen to some podcasts, you know, that are sex positive, talking about um, bisexuality and queerness and stuff like that. Follow some like uh, some queer content creators, you know, if you're a social media person, like, you know, make your Instagram really gay, you know, follow a lot of people that talk about stuff like this a lot. My advice is literally just like one little bit of advice from one person. There's a lot of other ways you could go about doing this and um, that can support you in your um, bisexual journey. And just keep the the, uh, conversation really open between you and your partner. Like just keep communication happening between the two of you. Um, And uh, yeah, hiring a professional, I mean, is, is... something I will always recommend because it is hard finding someone, um, you know, to meet a sexual need, right. That that's on the same page as you and are looking for the same things. Um, so you're not objectifying the person, um, hiring a professional is a great option. Um, and, uh, yeah, there are definitely male providers out there. Um, you know, book me and Davis Thumper. There you go. (laughs) Easy peasy. But um, I will say, since we, I just brought up objectifying, you know, it's not great to je- objectify a provider just because they do it professionally, you know, show up and talk to us in the same way you would talk to anyone who you're interested in having a sexual experience with, you know, we like to be treated as people also. So just a, a side note to that. And, you know, mid 30s, like it's never too late to start your journey. I'll mention that too, since he Uh, the age is mentioned here, it's never too late. As someone who provides, you know, sessions for people that are new to kink, like you see people of all ages come in and explore and experiment for the first time. Mid-30s is not old if you're thinking that. And 
yeah, specifically with like cis men, I think that sometimes their journey does start a bit later, you know, because there's a lot of toxic script, heteronormative, you know, um, script that you guys receive your whole lives growing up, right? So it can take a while to kind of shed that a little bit enough to actually explore, you know, your queerness um, and whatnot. So I would say congratulations for even being at the very beginning of your journey. Yeah. So I hope that helps. Okay, next question is Arten Arten 56. What is the best question to start conversation with a dom? So I don't know how I'm specific I'm gonna get with like what's the best question, but like again with the thing of objectifying that I mentioned and the thing of like person first interactions, approach them like a person, ask them questions like they're a person. I will say absolutely do not approach them in role. And by that, I mean, like, don't approach them and talk to them like they're your dom and they're dominating you because they haven't consented to that. So I would ask, you know, a first datey type question, you know, I would ask, you know, how are you? (laughs) You know, if it's in person somewhere, say you're at, you know, a kink event or something, say you're at a munch or something. Outfits are always a great conversation starter. If you're at a kink event where you're dressing up, like, hey, I like your outfit. How are you? How's your night going? You know, if it's at a munch, I might be like, I might be like, is this your first time at a munch? It's my first time. I like, like any question that's a normal conversation. (laughs) Like I wouldn't go in with like, I don't know, nothing explicit. And like, Even if it's a munch, I wouldn't necessarily go in and start talking about kink like right away. Like that shouldn't be the first question. The first question, you know, could be about the munch because you're both at a munch. The first question could be like asking about them in a non-explicit way. (laughs) It should be respectful. Um, It shouldn't be objectifying. (laughs) You can tell I've had many many conversations um, at munches that have been questionable. Um, And I mean, if you're approaching doms like on social media and stuff, then like the best questions to start a conversation with a dom, you know, if any stranger gets in my DMs, in my professional domination DMs, and they're like, like one of the ones is like, oh, are you a lifestyle dom as well? You know, will you dominate me? I'm like, I don't know you. And this is my pro dom website. So don't approach me about like, lifestyle dating here. This is my job. So I always kind of ignore or delete those. Any question that's like about them as a person and not them as a fetish dispenser. (laughs) I'll say that. I know I gave a lot of what not to do versus what to do, but there you have it. Talcum Todd asks, favorite part of medical fetish or fave med fet scenes? 
Well, I love duos. I mean, I've done some really great scenes with Erica Bowes. Um, I've done some great Metfed scenes with Chloe Mars. I've done some great ones with Headmistress Shahrazad. And uh, yeah, personal life as well. I love being able to show up in scrubs <laughs> rather than restricting fetwear. I love needles. Yeah, I really love doing needles, laying needles, and just having like a quiet, meditative needles moment. One of my favorite moments recently with needles was that I did like this. I had a person that was kind of at the beginning of their queer journey and it was during pride season. So I did the needles in the shape of an arc, like a rainbow. Um, so it was a bit, a bit of symbolism there. And then I tied a thread to each of the handles of the needles. And then I did a, did a needle pull um, with the thread where I pulled and they all, they all came out in that lovely arc. That was a really cool moment. Um, if I'm talking about like what I like most about Medfet scenes, it's like the role play elements. I really love pretending to be a doctor. I love playing like with that energy of um, objectification. We're talking about that a lot today, but consensual objectification. Um, it's a bit emotionally distant um, and there's a big power dynamic involved. Um, I like like the comforting but emotionally removed vibe. There's something about like that blend of intentions that's really interesting to me. Um, I do like a lot of like the fine skills for MedFed, but I think my main thing I'm drawn to is like the vibe of the role play. Um, Rangers underscore of underscore the underscore north, Rangers of the North asks top five personal kinks or curiosities and go <laughs> I like that okay I don't know if these are my top five but these are the first five that I can think of objectification is absolutely I think it's kind of integral to what my internal narrative is with like all of my kink activities and sexual activities and that can you know range from like feeling used, being treated like a thing, can be a part of like service. So I'm just there, you know, existing for the other person. Um, so absolutely objectification. I'm into like ignore more than I ever thought I would be. Ignore kink is kind of cool. I think it is definitely tied in with like objectification. Um, but yeah, so I'll say that is like something that I've like had a taste of, if we're talking about curiosities, had a taste of that. And like, you know, it's got to like anything, it's got to have specific context and circumstances surround surrounding it. But like, there's something about that that I'm like really curious to explore more. I mean, Medfet is in my top top ones. I'll, I'll just say role play for like the third one. Role play, any power dynamic role play. Like I'm really into archetypes like teacher, student, doctor, patient. I really 
love role play. Yeah. So that's definitely number three. Number four. Oh, I'm like, (laughs) um, really into like, um, like who cow kind of, this is another thing that like has been developing kind of over time. And I'm curious again to like continue exploring this thing of like being milked. That's like interesting to me for sure. Uh, I, I think it's definitely tied to like objectification, um, and even a bit to med fat, med fat, like, um, it's like making your body do a thing. Um, yeah. Oh, and that brings me to the last one, which is definitely, um, okay. So there's con, non-con, right? Consensual non-consent, but it's like, this is really integral to my, my experience, my sexual and kink experience. Like this is, again, this is a narrative that kind of runs through a lot of it and con non-con, but the nuance is it's apprehension. Okay. So, um, it's someone being kind of convinced and feeling apprehensive to do it. And there's also kind of this nuance within humiliation, um, that I'm really into and it's not feeling humiliated. It's feeling embarrassed. It's like this kind of pink shade, right? This in between, um, that's cute. Cause you know, your face goes pink when you're embarrassed, <laughs> but like this nuanced of feeling embarrassed and apprehensive to do a thing, but made to do it. Oh, what a beautiful blend. <laughs> Um, one more thing, but I think I might've answered it. What is, this is from Jackal underscore 20. What is your favorite thing to do in the clinic? Do, okay. I'm going to, my first thought is needles, which yes, I already answered that, but also I'll just say, just do a checkup. I love going through like some mild, you know, activities and you're just kind of relying on the role play and the vibe. So doesn't have to be anything high pain at all. It's very simple, just doing a little checkup and you're directing them what to do and you're narrating what you're doing and why. And you're just running through a bunch of like mild kind of tests that usually can happen, you know, at the beginning of a MedFet scene, like the first third of the scene, you're just kind of doing a checkup. And I really savor doing that. So yeah, that's going to be my answer. That was a lot of med fat, um, those last three questions. Um, so I'm going to head into a break, okay? And then we'll come back and we'll do, uh, I only got like a couple of questions on the bed post Instagram and then we'll move on over to the Twitter questions. The bed post podcast is sponsored by Come As You Are. Founded as a worker-owned cooperative, Come As You Are has a fundamentally anti-capitalist and feminist approach to sexual pleasure, health, and education. Come As You Are doesn't profit from your pleasure and only stocks products that they truly love and believe in. Come As You Are has been voted best sex shop in Toronto since 1997. 
Check them out at comeasyouare.com or 254 Augusta Avenue in Toronto's own Kensington Market. We are also sponsored by Club M4 Toronto. Club M4 is the largest sexually charged lifestyle club in the GTA. And now you can go to their website, www.clubm4.com, but one of my favorite things to do is to go to their Instagram events page and see what they've got going on. Scrolling through here, buy pleasure party, a night with the theme little black dress, game night, and fetish fantasy hosted by Empress. If anything looks interesting and you want to check it out, head on down to Club M4 at 1989 Dundas Street, Mississauga. Hello, welcome back everyone. Thanks so much uh, for those questions. That was like a pretty meaty first half of questions. So here's hoping the the second half follows suit. Um... I know some will be better than others, but we're going to answer all of them. Why? Because (laughs) I need to fill the hour. Uh, (laughs) Straight up. Um, Okay. I'm going over to the bedpost, the bedpost Instagram. So S.Vradenberg asks... Do a deep dive on OTK and why people like it. (laughs) I like how they phrase this Um, as a question. Not really a question, but um, over the knee. That's what OTK is. So over the knee spanking is what's being referred to. So I'll talk about why, why I think people like it. And I think over the knee, it's physically close so it can feel quite intimate because you're really close to each other's bodies. It can feel quite erotic also because the way having someone like laid over your lap, you know, your genitals are close together, right? Or like just the bodies being pressed against each other can feel erotic. Yeah, it, it can feel, it feels very personal, right? Because I'm thinking of like, you know, if you've got someone on a cross and you're hitting them, can feel, I want to say impersonal, but like there are a lot of positives of why that feels good. Like again, that objectification kind of angle, right? Um, And many other angles as well. But over the knee spanking, I mean, over the knee spanking, we have a lot of reference points for that. So it can feel taboo, which can be very interesting. So that can that can be worked into like role play really well, because it's kind of a traditional method of discipline. Yeah. And, and depending, you know, where you go with that, again, I'm thinking of this like kind of humiliation angle, right? That's inherent in the power dynamic. Um, they're like pulling the pants down at the ankles is a part of that. Right. Um, and to keep them on the ankles, uh, is, is that's done for a reason. That's, um, a bit of bondage, right? So they can't like kick, like, you know, help them squirm less if you keep the pants around the ankles. It's like ankle cuffs, right? Uh, so I like that. And then the implements you use for over the knee spanking, like, you know, spanking traditionally is like done, hand, it's hand spanking done with a hand, but you can do, um, 
you know, bare hand, I love to do a spanking with a leather, like a leather riding glove that you just get, you know, at any retail store, basically. And that's going to feel like more muffled, less like slappy, more like a bit of a duller sensation. It's also going to save your hand as the top. Or you can use like little paddles um, as well. Anything that's small because, you know, you're in close contact. So you like you can't really use a flogger, can you? Because it's long. Um, so uh, you can use vampire gloves if we're talking about just hand spanking. Then that's a way to make it make it a little more painful and extreme um, because you know you can do any vibe with over the knee spanking and you can play with like emotional elements like humiliation and whatnot and the power dynamics like I mentioned if you want to bring role play that's a great one for like teacher student or like uh, CGL caregiver little so yeah that's why I think people enjoy over the knee spanking um T-Man's X zero just asks, why are men? (laughs) So I, but I did say I'd answer every question. So my answer is, why are men? I'm going to throw it right back to her. (laughs) Why are men? Uh, Elrond D has a question. What's a good way for a kink newbie to dip their toe into the pool in a safe way? Yeah, I think going to a munch is a great start. If you want to kind of dip your toe into the kink community, you know, as a newbie. Um, if you want to like meet people with similar interests, then a munch is a great place to start. I do them once a month. I host the munches at Ritual Chamber. Um, but if you want to like dive into uh, play in a safe way, a lot of newbies book me as like their kind of virgin session, their virgin scene, kink scene. And we can do, you know, we do a scene, but it can also be like they're taking away some bottoming skills, you know, which are was going to be very important to you. Or topping skills, you know, depending which, which, um, your which side of the slash you're wanting to dip your toe into like we have a house submissive at ritual chamber that you could book so if you're looking at going in as a top and learning some topping skills safety wise then booking alexis o'neill is a great idea but if you want to um you know do a scene for the first time and learn some bottoming skills while you're doing it then book someone like me yeah or if it's like you know you're already partnered and the two of you want to start exploring um you can always book as a couple too so that i mean that's always going to be my top one because i am a kink facilitator but um you know i'm an educator too i'm a kink educator too so i'll say like take some classes you know if it's the two of you you know you're a couple or a thruple or whatever um buy some tickets to a class go together I think for like a conversation starter would be to like, you know, go to Northbound Leather and walk around this store and just let like pieces inspire some conversation or, you know, go to a kink store, a sex shop, just kind of walk around and talk about the things you're seeing. That can be a good place to kind of uh, start some conversation about what you're both kind of curious about question that says when it comes to online sex work is there a way to retain anonymity fuck anonymity yep anonymity and still find a viewership um absolutely 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, there are so many online sex workers that are face in and do great. Uh, one thing you have to do, I think, if you are face in, you've got to really amp up the personality in a big way. So Riley Marshall used to be my best example of that. She's face out now, but she used to be face in. And she showed off so much of her personality on her Twitter feed. And you could just, yeah, you knew her. You knew her. You didn't need to see her face. She's an in-person sex worker. but And I know lots of in-person sex workers who are face in that do a fabulous job and are extremely successful. But yeah, online uh, sex work can work the exact same way. You just got to get creative, like with your photos and your videos, you know, Um, but you can definitely do it where you're not showing your face. You can do it just by certain poses or cropping, or you can, you know, put on uh, a sexy, you know, face covering of some sort. Or I mean, I even know people that use like, use other pictures, you know, if you're an online sex worker you're basically creating a character, right? So if it's like, if you're a phone sex operator on like Night Flirt or Sex Panther, for instance, like lots of people, lots of people don't use their actual photos on there, right? So um, ideally with permission, you're, you know, grabbing a photo of someone from somewhere um, or it's a stock photo or something, you know, um, and you're using that as the photo, you know, and then you're just talking to people. Like, I know people, Layla Runowitz, who used to be on the podcast a lot. Leia, if you're listening, how's it, how's it going? How's it going? Come back on. I love you. Um, but she um, had three different characters that she had on, you know, she's a phone sex operator. One was like girl next door. One was like a dominatrix. And one was like a MILF, I think. Um, so it was like a student kind of a MILF and a... And a big powerful dom and yeah just um it's just her talking on the phone for all three and she created these you know personalities and um like personas for each um and to my knowledge she never used her her pictures for anything so that's an option too okay so we're gonna head on over to twitter first question is from uncle teddy what would be a good path to becoming a pro dom? What kind of reading or classes would be beneficial? I mean, I'm a, as I mentioned before, I'm a kink educator, so take my classes. <laughs> but like, honestly, Ritual Chamber is one of the best um, educational kind of resources for new dominance. They often like, we often have classes that are like specifically geared for like new dominance and stuff. But yeah, I'll just uh, go through what we've got on the on the docket. Um, these are all online classes um, that I'm going to read. So Tease and Denial, that's taught by me. Um, Intro to Butt Plugs, Strap-Ons, and Other Insertables. That's by uh, Shahrazad. <laughs> uh, Roleplay Masterclass, that's by me. Um, Intro to Protocol, that's by Shahrazad. Virtual uh, and Remote Domination, that's by me. BDSM Domination and the Ethical Use of Power, that's Charizard. Um, Navigating BDSM with PTSD or CPTSD, that's by Charizard. Um, And then let me just see if there are any in-person ones. Um, 
there's just one that's coming up in January and it's a brand spanking new impact play boot camp for couples and that's by Sharzad. So the ritualchamber.ca is where you're finding all of these but um yeah, I'm not a big like reader to recommend books, honestly. But yeah, I know um if you're interested in specifically Medfet then Ms. Violet Mays uh, sometimes does some little intensives. She's really um, specialized in med fat. I'll say that because off the top of my head, I don't have any other educational resources. But yeah, it, it said what would be a good path to becoming a pro-dom. So I think just kind of um, banking a bunch of hours and experience as a lifestyle dom is a really good place to start. Like if you're starting with like, if you're starting very green, like you can't start doing something professional that you don't know how to do like per, like non-professionally. <laughs> so you want to get you want to get good, right? So I would, you know, play with friends if you have kinky friends. Play with like people with like different sorts of kinks and want different sorts of experiences because that's going to be the main thing you're going to come up come up against as a pro is like you do a lot of different, you play with a lot of different people, right? So if your only reference point is you played with one person for the past 10 years, the same person, it's like, okay, you're going to be really great at doing like those very specific four things that that person enjoyed. But you're going to need to, uh, yeah, build up your experience with a whole bunch of different kinks and trying to figure out, you know, what your negotiation looks like to be able to jump in with it to a scene with somebody who you don't know, right? Um, like, what are the questions you're going to want to ask so that you can deliver like a nuanced scene for them, like after you've just met them, right? So yeah, hopefully that helps. This is from Christian Ness. Is it a good idea to talk to pro dom slash mistress about your kink like sissy, chastity cage, etc.? Um, only if it's consensual. <laughs> like, um, don't just start DMing pros about your kinks um, or anything like that. So yeah, if you're gonna talk to pro doms or pro mistresses about your kinks, then you, you're going to need to pay them for it. So you can book a consult. Um, that's one way that I do that. You know, there are dominants that do online domination that we mentioned before, you know, where you can do like if you can do phone sex or uh, texting sessions, I was trying to think of the word, uh, sexting type sessions. So you can talk to them that way or like uh, video chat as well. For me, I don't offer any of those things, but I do offer um, an in-person consult at Ritual Chamber or a virtual consult just like on Skype or Zoom or whatever, um, where you can just talk about your kinks um, with a pro. But if you're not doing any of those things where you're paying them, it, no, it is not a good idea to talk to pros about your kinks. Hope that answers your question. <laughs> this is from People Lover. What advice would you give to a new sub looking to book their first appointment with a pro dom? I love this question. My advice would be to think of a few activities that you would like to do. And then think about how these activities make you feel, right? Because that can give them some information as far as like what you want the 
the session, the energy in the session to be like, um, you know, what's interesting about these activities? I would ask yourself that before you get in the room. And then um, I would say, you know, have your hygiene be impeccable. I would say be hydrated. Eat something. Eat something before the session, okay? If you're doing anal activities, then you've got to do some sort of a douche. So do that. And douching can sometimes, there can sometimes be a learning curve for that. So I wouldn't be the first time, I wouldn't leave the first time you're going to douche, like right before, you know, a half hour before you leave to go to your first pro session. Try it the week before. And then maybe try it again, you know, a couple days later. And then the third time maybe is going to be the day of. Yeah, but they're going to negotiate with you before they start the scene. So they're going to ask you, you know, your limits and boundaries. And you're going to decide on safe words. And um, yeah, I would be prepared to just tell them uh, where your experience is at. So you know, if you're booking your first appointment with a pro, maybe this is your first time doing kink in person with anyone. Um, So tell them that. Or maybe you have experiences with online uh, sessions and online kink stuff. So, but nothing in person. So tell them that, you know, or maybe you've got lots of experience lifestyle, but you're here just doing pro for the first time. So tell them that just let them know where your experience level is at, and then they'll be able to facilitate a scene that will be appropriate for you. This next question is from Derek Rank. I was reading online, it seems that a lot of subs are younger these days, like age 20 to 30. But I read that 10 years ago, it was mostly older subs like 40 to 60. Is this true? Um, I mean, I don't have all the stats on that, obviously, but my experience is that people range in age all over the place. I don't have a specific age range that sees me. I see people that are, you know, in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, and I've seen some people in their 70s and 80s as well. So if people are noticing trends like that, it might be because, um, you know, with the internet, people are being exposed to it earlier. If so, if the trend is going where it's more 20s, people in their 20s and 30s nowadays. Um, I mean, but 10 years ago, there was the internet. So, well, who knows? <laughs> I can't say if it's true or not, Derek. Sorry about that. This is from Cheeky Wilson. What are your thoughts on toilet slavery? Um, well, I don't like to use the word slave or slavery. Um, so I don't do that. And then, yeah, toilet stuff is not in my top 10 of kinks that I do. Um, I do offer goldens in session at Ritual Chamber, but the person has to be wearing a blindfold because if they're not, to me, that's like a full service activity. I don't know. It's above my pay grade of what I get paid at Ritual Chamber. So if I'm doing a golden on you, then it's, uh, you're wearing a blindfold and, The reason why I don't love doing goldens, like it's not my top 10, is because I have a bit of a shy bladder. So I have to be drinking water until I'm like absolutely busting. And that's like how you're going to get anything from me. And so then, you know, if you're busting, you know, hydrated till you're busting, 
that's not a very comfortable thing. And I'm not being paid for all the time that I'm like drinking and drinking and like, you know, usually golden happens at the end because you put the person in the shower and they sit in the tub and you are doing it over them. And then they take a shower and clean up and that's the end of the session usually, right? So then I'm doing the whole session, like having to pee so bad. So that sucks for me. So it's definitely like something I've thought about not offering anymore. So I'll say that. And then any scat activities um, are an absolute no for me. But there are lots of people. Um, I mean, I have a lot. I have a few friends that are like scat doms. So there's lots of people that offer it. I just don't. Okay. This is from Stephanie Red. Are there male doms that have female subs as devoted to serving and or self-humiliating themselves as male subs are to female doms. Um, I'm not a male dom, so I can't speak to that. But I mean, absolutely. I think whether it's professionally or lifestyle, gender, you know, isn't really a factor as far as like how people it can it, it can inform people how they come into like DS dynamics. But um, I think people of all genders enjoy playing wherever on the slash. So absolutely. And then, um, yeah, and there are there are male pro doms as well, doing that all over the place. And there are like a shit ton of lifestyle male doms. So if you're talking about pro, then yeah, and lifestyle, then yeah. So oh, part two, it says from Stephanie. An example is, do you know any women who would go to great lengths to buy a male dom's underwear like a male sub would for a female dom and or pay a male dom in a fin dom way? Yeah, male doms do online sex work. Absolutely. Again, I'm not a male dom, so I can't speak to speak to that really. But yeah, that absolutely does exist. Um, I don't know anyone specific that would go to great lengths to pay a male dom's underwear like a male sub would do for a female dom. Um, I don't know that specific situation. I don't know of anybody, but it absolutely exists. Everything exists, right? <laughs> so um, this is from Moosad. What would you recommend to a married sub who has found himself in the BDSM world as a medfet sub and dreams about being your patient, uh, but he cannot make it real as he loves his wife? <laughs> okay. P.S. Once I told her about visiting you together. Is this specifically talking about me? Visiting me together. I think it is. But she got angry and she'll never accept. Yeah. Um, I would need to know a lot more information before saying what I would recommend. But, um, yeah, if, if you told her about visiting me together, but she got angry and she'll never accept. My instinct is like, did you go in with baby steps or did you suddenly like drop this bomb on her and didn't allow her time to like process and, um, you know, give her resources and, help her feel secure in your marriage. And like, I wonder how that went because when you have disclosing, disclosing conversations, um, you know, it's easy to do it when you're first meeting someone, you know, you let them know all your stuff, but like 
it's a very high risk situation when you're in a committed relationship to suddenly disclose something like years later. So, um, when that is the case, you've got to go so slow, it feels like you're going backwards, you know, with introducing these things and talking about these things and communicating these things. So, um, yeah, I'm not sure also what the dynamic of your marriage looks like, you know, um, as far as monogamy and what they consider monogamous, like, you said that you found yourself in the BDSM world as a MedFed sub. So I'm guessing online, you know, if, if you're, it's not within the boundaries of a relationship to see a dom in person. So it is within the boundary of your um, relationship to explore BDSM in other ways, because it sounds like you're doing that. So I would say that's the boundaries of your relationship. So I would continue exploring it in the way that makes you both feel comfortable and maybe that can change going forward if you keep communication open about all of that so you know that that's kind of the option right um that you'll have to find ways that she's happy for you to explore in right and i mean that's your personal decision of like how important your marriages, I guess, versus how important it is for you to explore these kinks and what compromises the two of you can make with both. So that's something that's going to be so personal to you and your relationship and also to you and like your kink, your kinky self. So I would, I would say go to a couples counselor that is very kink friendly. And, um, you know, if you're at an impasse, having a professional mediate these types of conversations would probably be a really good idea. Um, someone neutral um, between the two of you. So I wouldn't get somebody who's like a pro dom doing a consult, for instance, because that's um, your wife would feel very underrepresentative in a scenario like that, probably. Um, so yeah, couples therapist helping you kind of communicate in a way that feels communicate and then explore in a way that feels good for both of you. But again, I'm not a therapist, so uh, <laughs> I'm not a relationship coach. Um, so that is what my experience, how my experience will allow me to answer that question. So yeah, that's it. That's good. Good questions, folks. Honestly, um, so pleased with that. Had some really good ones in there. And I'll do this, you know, in another few months because I think you guys like this. So, uh, <laughs> so, you know, just keep on the socials there for when I'm going to do uh, another call for questions and, um, hope you enjoyed this episode, everyone. If you, you're hearing this and you don't know where to follow me, uh, at the lady pim one on Twitter, that's where I'm the most active. If you must go on over to Instagram at the Bedpost Podcast or at the Lady Pim. I am on TikTok. Um, if you're interested in like learning about, about about kink, learning a bunch about kink, that's what I was trying to say. Um, then I do a lot of little like educational videos about kink on my TikTok at the Lady Pim. Um, the YouTube's always there as well. The Bedpost Show. The Patreon. There's a lot of edu educational content on there. 
Um, it's another educational resource, I guess I didn't mention. My Patreon, I do half hour recaps of all my classes on there. And that is the Bedpost Show as well. I never like to go an episode without thanking the lovely lady who does all the original music for my podcast. Her name is Stephanie Copeland, and you can find more about her at stephcopelandmusic.com. And next week, we'll be right back talking to another fun and sexy guest here on the Bedpost Podcast, talking about sex and sexuality. Until then, get fucked, everybody. Goodbye. This podcast has been brought to you by the Sonar Network.